Welcome to episode 195 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode one, New World Order, directed by Kari Skoglin and written by Malcolm Spellman, who is the head writer for the series. And if you end up enjoying this episode and want to know where you can hear even more podcasts, exclusive podcasts that are not available anywhere else, then you're going to want to visit patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. And among those exclusive podcasts are Patreon credit scenes where we discuss additional topics besides the feature topic of our main episode. So this episode 195 is a spoiler review for the Patreon credit scene. I will be talking about the addition of Kingsley Ben-Adir to the Marvel Studios Disney Plus series Secret Invasion, as well as the latest news on Black Widow via Disney CEO Bob Chapek. You can access that show and others by visiting patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or just hitting the link in our show notes. And then please be sure to follow us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Now, before we take our break and have our fun talking about this latest Marvel Studios Disney Plus series, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, as a community of fans who really love stories about heroes and people doing really great things to help others, it's important for us to take that inspiration and follow through in the real world and do some good where we can. And that certainly includes standing against racism and helping to stop Asian hate. And that includes helping those who've been impacted by hate crimes this week, as well as the thousands who've been impacted by hate crimes over the past year. And if you're looking for more information on how you can help, please visit GoFundMe.com AAPI. Thank you very much. On with our show. Paul Herman, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well, man. And I have to say a special thank you to uh, everyone who uh, followed me uh, on the, or subscribe, I should say, to the Comic Binge YouTube page. Um, you guys definitely have touched my heart. And uh, it's a great, great kind of launching pad. And I really appreciate everyone who did. And if you didn't know, I'm on the YouTubes now. The YouTubes, the kids say, I guess. I don't know. Uh, they don't, but keep going. They don't. Okay, that's fair. Uh, but yeah. The uh, Comic Binge YouTube page. I've got already got over 200 subscribers, and I think that's awesome for just a just literally just launched a couple weeks ago. And I'm, again, super grateful. Doing lots of more videos, um, doing more live streams. Definitely, we'll be getting uh, a Falcon and Winter Soldier required reading at some point, probably more towards the end of the season. But thanks everyone who uh, who uh, subscribed. If you haven't yet, please consider that and watch some videos, like it, so I can get to that sweet algorithm. But I'm doing well. Like I just, uh, I just watched something that I can't wait to talk about. So I'm very, very excited. I've been dying to talk about the first episode of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier because I got to see it a few days early. Not so humble mm. brag. So I'll just yes. apologize for that. But That's it nice. is factual. Like it's correct. I, I saw the the episode a few days ago, and I'm so happy that I only had to wait a few days because as soon as I saw, it, I was like, oh man, there's so much I want to talk about. And I threw out the non-spoiler review, which maybe some of you heard. And if you skipped it, now you can go back and listen to it. Because I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you already saw the episode of the Falcon Winter Soldier. And if you haven't, again, that makes it that just makes it your fault and your responsibility should you end up being spoiled. But anyway, doing that. Uh, also listen to it, though, because it's not just the non-spoiler review. John Shecker, who's been on the show before, who's always awesome, 
He and I talked about the moments that made the MCU. It's a really fun list, or two fun lists, because we each have our own. So make sure you go back and listen to episode 194 if you haven't already. But as I was talking about it, I was having to bite my tongue because it's a non-spoiler review, and there's just so much good stuff that I want to talk about with this show because it really just comes out firing on all cylinders. Although I guess I, I don't want to skip the little prologue we get before we get this big action scene that really opens up this series because we're going to be doing this beat by beat just like we did with WandaVision because we want to try and not miss anything. Inevitably, we'll miss some things, but we want to cover this series as comprehensively as we can because that's what it deserves. That's how much effort is going into the show, and we just want to appreciate. And thankfully, so far, based on one episode, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is pretty easy to appreciate. So the opening that we get before the big action sequence, we get this quiet moment with Sam Wilson, who is clearly wrestling with this decision that we know he makes and maybe makes in this episode and maybe regrets by the end of this episode. We'll talk about that as we get into it. But Sam is getting himself ready, ironing his shirt, putting on the suit, and lying on the bed is the shield, the same shield that Steve handed him at the end of Avengers Endgame, passing the mantle, as Steve intended, to Sam Wilson, the mantle of Captain America. And so Sam is just studying this shield, and he picks it up, and I really love the little shield vibranium sound effect that you hear, just, just a little bit of it as he lifts it up off the bed. And then we get a voiceover with Steve saying, and these is, this is dialogue from Avengers Endgame, as you'll recall, Steve, old man Steve saying, how's it feel? Sam saying, like it's someone else's. And then Steve saying, it isn't. And it's really interesting, and, and I think a good choice for the start of this series to hear Steve's voice, because I think it's just a reflection of everything, the weight that this has for Sam Wilson and the legacy of The Shield the legacy of Steve Rogers. And there's also other things that complicate the matter that don't really have that much to do with Steve Rogers. But we really get to see Anthony Mackie in this quiet, intimate sort of moment, um, just him alone in his thoughts, looking at the shield and everything that it means and everything that his decision means for him and all that's writing on it and all that has to be just running through his mind. And we just see Sam Wilson studying all of it but I also thought it was, that, as I said, a great choice to kind of hear Steve's voice to really just add that much more weight to this moment and, and everything that Sam has to be considering. I uh, really loved this quiet beginning. Yeah, that was a very, I wasn't expecting that. And I think for, for the most part, we all expect, you know, things to kind of open with a bang because that's just kind of what we're, we're used to, especially with a more of a straight, straight ahead kind of action show that we're getting from this the series but i love the fact they go small quiet and very personable and picking up right where avengers left uh it was called left game end game uh left off and i think that that was a very very nice touch because you're emphasizing the fact that falcon is feeling this this weight mm -hmm. and it's not and it's not just been uh, you know, it's not that's the next day. It, this has been a considerable amount of time. Yeah, this has been six been, months. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You 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 already feel that because, again, it's a different place, different you know whatever, and you just you you just feel it. 
and you see on Anthony Mackie's face, and, and it again, it's a nice, quiet moment of just you know him reminiscing of what Steve said, and, and he cannot, he can't escape it. And which I can't, there is some interesting things that kind of go back into which I'm going to wait till later because it's not later in the show. But I love how he's just wrestling with you know this this legacy that he doesn't think he he is, and I, I love that. And, I, and which, which again, I'll, I'll talk about later. But yeah, I, I, I love that we get here. He can't. He's wrestling with it, and he's he's just given up essentially because he puts the shield in the bag. And again, it's symbolic of he's putting it like away. Like, listen, this is not mine. I'm going to put it away. This is you know again before we get anything later. It's yeah. like I love the symbolism of him doing that. Yeah, and it is the same leather bag that Steve pulled the yeah. shield out of <laughs> in so, Avengers Endgame. That. And I think for Sam, though, it's even more complicated than that. There is the weight of the legacy of Steve Rogers as Captain America and the symbolism that Steve really lent to the shield, but it's also the stars and stripes. And there's a lot of complexity that comes with that and whether or not that symbol has always represented everyone. And I think that's why we hear this line so many times of how the shield, it feels like it belongs to someone else or it feels like it's someone else's because it's not only someone else's in the sense that it belonged to Steve, although this is the shield he got from like alternate timeline, whatever he was doing, returning all the stones at the end of Avengers Endgame. But not only is it Steve's shield, but even the stars and stripes on that shield has been someone else's in terms of the, the idea that maybe it hasn't necessarily represented everyone in a country uh, after which Captain America is named, but we will get into that as we go along. So the next thing we get is the big opening action sequence. Uh, oh, actually, I'd want to backtrack one second here because one more point I wanted to make about the quiet opening, where I also think this was tonally perfect for the show, is that this is exactly what it's supposed to do. It's supposed yeah. to allow us to focus on these types of moments with Sam Wilson, with Bucky Barnes, that it's not just the action that they're a part of that's always so much fun, but this is our chance to really get to know them. And even though Sam's not really saying anything new, it's just voiceover from a previous scene, he may not be speaking, but he's still saying a lot, thanks to, of course, the performance by Anthony Mackie. Yeah. But moving on to that opening action sequence, so this is what Sam's been doing. He explains this as the episode goes on. He's basically a contractor now. He's been contracted with the Air Force for the past six months. He goes on missions that they basically can't be seen doing. And so there's some organization called LAF. I tried to look up what this was because I didn't remember it from anything in Marvel Comics. I don't know that it's a thing. Um, and the this organization, just whatever, some organization that's up to no good, has targeted a military liaison named Captain Vassant. Also, no real Marvel significance that I could identify there. Um, Sam needs to protect and then eventually rescue Vassant over Tunisian airspace because, again, the U.S. military can't be seen there. They want to make sure there are no treaties that are violated. And Sam is told by this major on the plane that First Lieutenant Torres is going to be Sam's boots on the ground, uh, letting him know, or Torres eventually identifies himself as Sam's boots on the ground. And... This uh, first Lieutenant Torres, he is played by Danny Ramirez, and he is it's confirmed in the credits that his first name is Joaquin because they do not say it during the show. But Joaquin Torres, 
for those of you who may recall, if you read some of Sam Wilson as Captain America in Marvel Comics, and we talked about some of this run on a Marvel Unlimited book club on the Patreon, Joaquin Torres actually becomes Falcon when Sam Wilson is Captain America in Marvel Comics. And I think as we see this episode go on, we see uh, First Lieutenant Torres, Joaquin Torres, going down that path a little bit. And we'll just see how far down he goes compared to what we saw in the comic books. But as Lieutenant Torres, First Lieutenant Torres is checking in, we get these great shots of Sam in flight. And you could just see right away, I mean, it goes on throughout the action scene, but it's so different in seeing Sam flying. I mean, we've seen it, right? We've seen it in other movies. We saw it in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. We saw it in Avengers Infinity War, Civil War. But this is certainly where we get the longest look at Sam flying. And I mean, he just looks like he's been doing it for his entire life. He's just such a natural at it. And it's so different than a lot of the other characters we've seen in flight. Uh, But I'll talk more about that when we get to the chase, because the first thing Sam does is he finds the plane uh, that, of course, was there for uh, Vassant. And he sees he discovers that the plane's already been hijacked. And who's leading the group of hijackers? Batrock. Batrock the Leaper. They don't really give him the Leaper name, but Batrock the Leaper, as played by, of course, mixed martial arts legend George St. Pierre, whom we first saw in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. We saw him getting his butt whooped by Steve Rogers aboard the Lemurian Star. And he's still wearing purple and yellow, like his comic book costume. It's a little bit louder and more pronounced now. I, I think it's just easier to see, and I like that the color scheme is there. Um, but that's not the only thing uh, that's back. It's not just Batrock. Red Wing is back, uh, and we see Sam using it for reconnaissance and also to go on offense uh, throughout this sequence. But when Sam jumps onto the plane, and Red Wing is basically the key to get Sam on the plane, it's so great. I mean, the action sequence of Sam coming in, fighting these guys from LAF, having a one-on-one fight versus Batrock, kind of like Cap had his own one, one-on-one fight versus Batrock on the Lumerian Star. And then we, uh, of course... Things go well enough until they don't, and Batrock and, and the rest of the LAF who are there, they jump out of the plane in their little flying squirrel suits, and then they have, of course, Vassant with them. But this little bit of the opening sequence of just getting Sam involved, giving us a sense of what exactly he's been up to, his role relative to the United States military versus being a superhero and all of that being defined here, meeting this new character in First Lieutenant Torres, and then getting a really cool fight sequence above uh, aboard this plane, uh, really loved the the hot start that this got off to. Yeah, this was great. I again, I avoid spoilers now completely for these Marvel shows, and I remember, I remember seeing a glimpse of someone saying Batrock might make an appearance, or you know, again, I being as close as we are to the stuff, I can't avoid every little detail. But what I try to do is not make a big deal when I see something, and I totally forget. So in this case, I totally forgot Batrock was going to be in this. And when he showed up, I did a literal like, yes, like I just got super stoked. Because again, it's, it's, it's for, it serves multiple, multiple purposes here. You've got the, the crowd like me who just loves the fact they're, they're digging deep into these characters. They could, they could have gotten some no name villain or some, some random guy who is a terrorist or whatever, you know, underground criminal this person is. And then that's it. But they, you know, again, because it's the MCU and it's Marvel Studios, they understand where their bread is buttered and they understand also what kind of makes this so much fun for so many people like me. 
and you go in, you go deep. You go, okay, we're going to bring in a Captain America character from Winter Soldier. So you're serving two purposes of you're rewarding you're rewarding us who watch these shows and these movies all the time, and you're saying, oh yeah, remember this guy? Here he's back. Okay, cool. Like, again, you're rewarding us for watching all these movies and shows, and if you're a huge comic fan like us, then you are also, you're also rewarded because you're like, oh, it's Batrock the Leap, you know, and you expect him with a petroleum mustache and start hopping around somewhere. Um, this is great. I, I love, love seeing him back. Uh, I thought he was just a, I mean, I think most people liked him in Winter Soldier, but I really liked him, and I thought it was kind of a bummer he never kind of popped back up. I mean, you really couldn't really use him anywhere, but here he serves a great purpose, and I hope that he comes back uh, at some point because. Oh, he's coming know, back like, for sure. I mean, yeah. he gets away at the end of this oh, sequence, sure, so right, yeah. Right. We have not but, seen the last of Bat. I don't even think we've seen the last of Bat Rock in this show, let alone in the MCU. No, no, good. And so for me. I, I love the fact that we're just going into this, and he is a completely different character, as far as we know. Uh, I'm assuming it's uh, still like a completely different character for the most part from the comic book character that, that I is kind of a little bit of a joke. And they make it—he is very cool in the MCU. He's, he's way cooler, obviously, and I like it. I, he, he, I love seeing him in action against Sam. This whole opening scene was very, very cool, and I, I think for me is felt like winter soldier and it but it definitely felt like condensed i mean the one criticism of, and i i don't want to say it's a criticism but it's just kind of reality is a lot of these things uh, on disney plus take place in like small compact places so like the mandalorian always takes place in like a hallway of some side of some kind you know or some kind of big like warehouse and uh winter soldier you know again they get on a plane and it's great but like it's, all the enclosed fighting is like in like an enclosed like tight space, and so uh, it's just kind of like, okay, yeah, I get it. Um, but that being said, it's fantastic, and I think that goes to a credit of the people making these shows. That even though I, I kind of notice that a little bit, I don't care at the moment because it's just it's so good over what we're getting. It's, it looks great. So seeing Batrock and Falcon duke it out was just ridiculously awesome I, it was great seeing them back on the screen together yeah i mean i know that there was the close quarters fight on the plane but once they got into the big chase sequence that felt big to yeah. me that, that really was, felt that big. Yeah. big and fast and epic and fun and all the things that we or just some of the things because there are a lot of things that we love about the mcu and not all of them are action oriented many of them are not but yeah. this sequence was so good as i was saying a few moments ago probably the longest sustained flight sequence that we've had with Sam Wilson as Falcon. And yeah. he is just so smooth. I mean, he's just graceful when he flies. And that's something that we haven't really seen because we haven't spent as much time in flight with Sam Wilson as we have with other characters. But in the air, he's different from Tony Stark. He's different from Rhodey. Even though Rhodey is the one who, surprise appearance by Rhodey later on down the line, uh, talks about teaching Sam's nephews how to fly the right way. Sam flies the right way. I love the way Sam flies in that Falcon suit, which just looks awesome. I love that they've brightened up the colors. I mean, we've seen this imagery before in trailers and everything, but seeing it in action here with the full sequence with this new Falcon costume just looks so awesome. And the way they stage the action sequence, there's so many different things going on here. I mean, he's evading helicopters. Then he sends Red Wing back out to go on the offensive to take down the helicopters. Uh, the helicopters. And then there's that moment where he flies underneath one helicopter and then reaches back to the guy on the huge machine gun 
and just snares him out of the helicopter. That was just so cool. And then we see him doing like in-flight wrestling with some of these flying squirrel guys and just like chucking one of them into the wall of the canyon. Uh, that looked so cool. And just uh, a great shot of Sam when he goes on one helicopter, he dives out of it, fires a little bomb back, blows it up. And then, uh, of course, as all of this is happening, we find out that there's a time limit on this because while Sam might be able to get away with being in Tunisian airspace, he cannot, even Sam, not just the U.S. military, but even Sam cannot enter Libyan airspace. So he's got to get Vassant back before Batrock and the rest of his crew are able to get uh, Vassant over Libyan airspace. And we get this uh, we get this finale in this. And of course, we have Sam. Now he's he goes from the person in pursuit of the choppers to now being the one chased by them. And they're firing these heat seeking missiles. And of course, Sam has the perfect counter to that. He actually, of course, flies for the last helicopter with uh, Batrock in it. And the and he, Sam just flies through the side of the helicopter, grabs Vassant, rescues him. But we do see, as I mentioned before, Batrock getting away, presumably to be back at some point in the MCU. I would say most likely at some point later on in the series. And of course, Torres down on the ground is thrilled with what Sam accomplished in being able to rescue Vassant. And overall, this action sequence, I, I wanted to go back and look at it because it felt pretty long. And this was over seven minutes of just pure yeah. MCU action with Sam Wilson, which is very expensive. Uh, and so just to, I mean, and this is just the main, the big action sequence of the first episode. We will, of course, get other big action sequences as this series goes on. But this was, I felt like, MCU movie level action. This is Marvel delivering on that promise of really going big on this series. And it's different than... WandaVision, of course, as far as pacing, which saved its big action sequence for the finale. This one's going to have a lot more action sequences because it fits more into this story of what's happening with these characters. So it's all making sense within the story. I love they're getting off to such a hot uh, a hot start with this action sequence. And as I was saying, big, epic, fast and fun uh, and really great to see Sam Wilson on this solo mission. And it really shows because it's just Sam. I, I also love that. I love that with all due respect to First Lieutenant Torres down on the ground, up in the air, Sam is our only superhero. And this is the only time we've had that where Sam is on his own. And Sam is just as much fun to watch here as all the other people who've been headlining their movies for such a long time. I really love Sam getting to uh, showcase his abilities in this sequence. It was awesome. Yeah, this was a very pleasant surprise because I... Like you said, the the scale for this, I was not expecting right off the bat. And they gave it to us. And and even though, again, we get the enclosed spaces and whatever, but I this was like you said, like this was blew my mind how great this looked. This looked completely cinematic. And it it was it was choreographed beautifully. And I we all can criticize you know, whatever you want for, you know, the films or, or whatever. But this was, I thought this was on par with any, any film that, that I had seen, you know, and again, like even the Disney plus shows are just, you know, delivering such a great thing for us. And again, I, I'm really, really interested to see how the rest of the episodes kind of play out as far as the scale goes. But either way, like this was a great. If, again, this was one of the bigger action sequences of the year, which or year of the series, then which I don't think it will be. But if it is, I, I totally understand. You had to knock kind of your socks off a little bit, and it did. 
And one of the things that I love a lot about this was you got to see the Red Wing character uh, kind of in action more. And mm-hmm. that's something we, we haven't really seen a lot of. There was that one scene in Civil War. Yeah. And I can't really – maybe another scene in uh, Ant-Man maybe? Is that – I can't remember if it was an Ant-Man if it was an Ant-Man or not either, but it wasn't really used. And Red Wing is a, you know, again, in the comic books, obviously it's a real Eagle and you're not going to have that. It's just, it's a little too much. I think it's a real Falcon, isn't it? Or he is Falcon Eagle. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) A real bird, a real bird of prey. It's a real bird. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a real big bird. Uh, yeah, no, but Sam uh, can communicate with birds in the comics. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's a little far-fetched, again, in a, in a superhero show, sure. But, I mean, like, it's just a little too much, a little over the top, right, for at least in this current day and age. So I, I really liked, and remember back in the day in our spoiler reviews for Civil War, I really liked the idea of having a robotic Red Wing. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool to see that aspect of the character, because we saw it once, and that was it. And I was like, oh, man, it sucks we haven't really seen Red Wing in a while. And I thought, to be honest, Sean, I thought they were going to write Red Wing out completely. Like, I was like, okay, I, I was expecting, like, Red Wing to kind of be an Easter egg in Civil War, and that was it. So when he actually makes, like, a pretty, or I think, you know, it makes a pretty big, like, entrance, I'm like, oh, man, they didn't forget about Red Wing. This is awesome. <laughs> so it kind of was like, okay, like, they're, they're paying attention. Like, they get it. And I, I, I for one, really appreciated that because, I mean, not just because it's a nod of the comics, but... Yeah, I thought it was a cool thing for Sam to have, right? And I also love they they follow up right with it when he's fixing it at the very at the next scene, basically. So I and it kind of also showing that you know that Sam is a little bit technical as well. Again, you're building mm-hmm. you're building the character with it as well. So Red Wing is serving a different purpose uh, as a different character in the, in the MCU, but I really like it, and I thought it was great seeing it in action, and I I really hope that we get more and more of it and they get creative with it because seeing it in action in this episode just showed you kind of the the uh the the uh what's the word i'm looking for the very diverse kind of ways you can use the character in a way and so mm-hmm. yeah i thought it was i thought it was phenomenal but i really that's what kind of put it over the top for me like okay this is this is the falcon he's using red wing this is this is it yeah he's got his own team right there yeah, yeah and right there, uh yeah. loved it so we get to our next scene which is in Tunisia, we get the formal meeting between uh, Falcon, between Sam Wilson and Joaquin Torres. Maybe this will end up being effectively a sequel to On Your Left, the first meeting between a Captain America and a Falcon, as we saw in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. But anyway, so they meet up and what we see, Sam is repairing some of his tech, as you were talking about, and Torres is very interested in it, which I think certainly points to the idea that, yeah, he's digging the Falcon tech if Sam should go on to become Captain America eventually in this story, looks like Torres is going to be very interested in assuming the role of Falcon. And if not Falcon, some other superhero identity, if they decide to go a different route with that, or if Sam decides to ultimately stay, remain Falcon and, and never take on the mantle of Captain America. But that's where we get the timeline. Sam says he's been working with the Air Force for six months. So that means this story is taking place well after WandaVision, but still just a little bit shy of Spider-Man Far From Home, because remember, that's eight months after the events of Avengers Endgame. So uh, we're getting closer to where Far From Home was, um, not quite there, but still well past the events of WandaVision, which so far are not referenced uh, in this series, and I don't necessarily know that they need to be. But we also see 
a man approach Sam and he thanks Sam and thanks the rest of the Avengers with Sam being there to represent the Avengers um, for this man. Thanks Sam for bringing his wife back. And we learned cause Sam uh, talks back to the guy. Uh, we learned that Sam speaks Arabic. So there's another thing which Torres uh, notes as well. And that's kind of them give, even having Torres kind of highlight that is also the way the show is kind of highlighting this is us getting an opportunity to learn more about Sam. We didn't really know that he could work on his own tech because they haven't necessarily shown him doing that in the MCU. We didn't know that he spoke other languages because it just hasn't come up because there hasn't been as much time or focus on this character before. So they really do a good job of just adding new layers and just new things to know about Sam Wilson. And one of the other things that uh, Torres already knows that he's kind of downloading Sam on here is that as bad as the LAF may be, Torres is worried about something else. He's worried about the Flag Smashers because Torres has been tracking them online. And they, the Flag Smashers, they think the world was better during the blip. And Sam points out, well, every time the world gets better for one group, it gets worse for another. And Torres says that the Flag Smashers want a world that's unified without borders, which actually doesn't necessarily sound so bad. It doesn't inherently sound evil. Um, and Torres says that he's going to keep an eye on them and then, of course, give Sam a heads up if there's trouble. There's also some conspiracy theories that uh, Torres shares at the end of the scene, uh, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I want to focus on this initial explanation of the Flag Smashers because it's really interesting in the perspective that Sam, who doesn't really know anything about them, kind of already has, as he points out, every time the world gets better for one group, it gets worse for another and that's already a certain level of empathy for Sam, but it's also an understanding of the idea that prosperity isn't always universal. Often it is not. And so that's why there sometimes when one group prospers, it might, it doesn't always have to be. Ideally, it isn't, but it can be at the expense of another. Um, or even if it has, even if the two things don't necessarily correlate, not everybody is necessarily going to be prospering at exactly the same time. And this is something that Sam is already understanding, uh, certainly through his own experience. And I, I really like them pointing that out. But also with Torres, as he's explaining the Flag Smashers, again, wanting a world that's unified without borders, it doesn't sound like something that's just automatically evil. And if we're talking about life was better during the blip for some people, or they think that's the way that it should be, because maybe the world was more united in those five years during the blip, because everybody was experiencing the same the same sense of loss and maybe that brought people together uh, in their grief and also just in their efforts to just want to get through it and survive as best they could. But now that everybody's back, and as is pointed out multiple times throughout this episode, it's chaos. I mean, as we saw, it was chaotic when everybody came back with Monica Rambo in WandaVision. It's chaotic and it's causing problems and it's causing violence. It's causing unrest. It's causing instability. And so the Flag Smashers have their own approach for how they are going to offer some stability or try and achieve some stability or peace in the world. And it's going to be really interesting once we learn more about the Flag Smashers themselves and allow and probably eventually get to hear them speak for themselves. I think it's going to be really fascinating. And I love the idea of exploring some of the moral gray here where you have the Flag Smashers clearly being set up as antagonists, but antagonist doesn't always have to mean evil. And it'll be interesting to see what uh, what the Flag Smashers have to say when we finally hear them speak. Yeah, this was a, um, 
the, the Flag Smasher character and, and what it's based off of in in the comic books is just it's not it's not really a very he's, he's not a very interesting character in, in and of itself. But again, what I love about the MCU is they take aspects from the Marvel Universe and they twist them around. They still have the Easter egg part about, and again, I'm a broken record with this, but they I just love it because they've made it into a very interesting time. The blip, I love what they're doing with the blip. And I love the fact that they're trying to attack, and I say attack, but they're, they're, they're attacking the, this, this uh, story point in a way that is so diverse and so interesting because you have it used as a comedy aesthetic in Far From Home. And then you've got the whole blip idea in, it's, it's touched upon in WandaVision, but it's not the central focus. Now here, it seem, you're seeing a lot more of the ramifications of the blip happening and more of a, I hate to say realistic, but kind of more of a down-to-earth kind of realistic idea of what the blip would do to reality um, in this reality and the ramifications of that, of both politically, financially, mm -hmm. all that stuff is felt in this episode. And I love the fact that that's an emphasis of this series. It's not, it's not just following up these characters. It's following up the world, the universe of what, what the fallout is from the blip. And I love the fact that it's, it's causing chaos amongst, you know, different groups and things like that. Because again, if this really were happening, there would be ramifications from it. And what would people do to, to try to prosper from that, especially yeah. in a world where superheroes, supervillains exist. So it's really fascinating um, seeing them right in this uh, series, these, these kind of extra, you know, political ideas that the, the blip would cause or financial reasons. It's really, right. really fascinating. And I love the fact they're attacking that. Because I mean, it couldn't be any more timely. We are in the midst of dealing with, our own thing, right? I mean, we're in the midst right. of dealing with, I mean, people have been calling, comparing the pandemic to the blip and it's an apt comparison. And that's why the MCU is probably going to be one of the fictional universes out there that doesn't necessarily address COVID and they don't necessarily have to, because I don't think it's a requirement that every work of fiction address COVID directly or specifically, but also the MCU already has its own global tragedy that has permanently scarred the world. And certainly with this, I mean, we've seen it with the pandemic. There are political impacts. There are social impacts. There are economic impacts. It's everywhere because it it touches every single part of the world. And that's what we're seeing here. I mean, as they point out, three and a half billion people who were gone for five years are suddenly back. And not that this is a choice that this show made, but this is part of why I love the choice of it being five years in Avengers Endgame. Why was it five years instead of one year, two year, three years, whatever? Because five, I think, is, I mean, any other number could have been perceived that way. But five certainly seems long enough to not so long that the world has completely moved on and forgotten. But it is long enough that the world got acclimated to some new form of normal and then that got snatched away. And everybody's happy. I think, well, no, maybe not everybody. A lot of people probably feel like, maybe not the Flag Smashers, but a lot of people probably feel like, well, it's worth it because we have people back. Um, we have people who we loved and lost who are now back. But that doesn't change that, yeah, 
this is utter chaos and we're we're all collectively going to have to deal with it. And we see, of course, people are dealing with it in very different ways. So the next thing we get, oh, actually, before we move on, the conspiracy theories. So uh, Torres mentions to um, Torres mentions that there are, you know, rumors and theories online uh, about presumably Steve Rogers saying that he's living on the moon and Sam flew him there which immediately make, made me think of Jason Aaron's original sin with Nick Fury ended up be, ending up being the new Watcher on the moon. Or the Watcher period, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and Bucky actually took over as that person for a minute <laughs> as Winter Soldier. So oh, uh, God. that ended up happening for a minute. Not quite in the same way that it was for Nick Fury, but anyway. Um, Steve is presumably not on the moon, but he's somewhere. I mean, we know that the world has been allowed to believe that Steve Rogers is dead because we saw him in the In Memoriam in Spider-Man Far From Home, which, depending on how long this story takes, I guess the world will still think Steve is dead at the end of this series. But I also think that I I like that they're playing on this because certainly we never saw Steve Rogers die. Last we saw, he's just an old man. So... While I don't necessarily buy into the conspiracy theories online in the MCU that he is up on the moon, he's somewhere, and mm-hmm. eventually we'll figure out exactly where he is. Maybe that is uh, a cameo in this series. Maybe it's something they save for uh, another time. But I like that they had that little piece in there to acknowledge that, yes, there's an in-memoriam where it says Steve is dead, but no, he probably isn't. Yeah, I, I totally got the uh, the whole moon thing was definitely a nod to Watcher. I definitely thought Nick Fury, or his character's name, I had no idea the Winter Soldier actually took over that spot. That's so ridiculous. Um, wow. Yeah, th- this was a, um, a nice little scene. I had no idea that this character, the, the Torres character, was gonna was the Falcon until I, I, I thought about it after the episode ended and went, there's a real big emphasis on this guy. I'm like, who is this guy? And I looked it up like, oh, yeah, he's a new Falcon guy. Well, speaking of that, I have to give a shout out to one of our Patreon community members who did call this when Danny Ramirez was cast. So it came out in really? the trades. Yeah. Uh, Steven from our community, when uh, when Danny Ramirez was cast, and it was for an unknown role, as it always is when we see these reports in the trades, or as it often is. Um, and he said, oh, what if he's Joaquin Torres or Falcon? And lo and behold... That's what, that's exactly wow. who Danny Ramirez is playing in the MCU. Dang. That's a, uh, that's impressive. That's impressive. So yeah, this was a, to me, obviously this also was an Easter egg kind of like hinting at like, ha ha, the watcher, ha ha, you know, that's what he, that's what the rumor is. But this is also setting up the eventual Captain America cameo. I mean, it's just, which is great, which we all want and we have to have. And I think, and I, I, I'm 95% sure it's going to happen. I think we all think it's probably going to happen. And I think when it, when it does, it's going to be, or it has to be not quick, but it has to be one time only, in my opinion. I mean, I, I'll take Captain America all season. I mean, hell, I mean, if they want to do the old school where, you know, he's, you know, just basically Nick Fury, you know, whatever, you know, being all old and stuff. Yeah, that'd be cool. And then working from behind the scenes. That's I mean, I'm all about that. I don't think they're gonna I don't think Chris Evans wants to do that. I don't think they want to do that. But but if he's only gonna make a, a, a short visit, then I it's gotta be an impactful one. And I I definitely can have my predictions on that, which we maybe get to another time. But but yeah, I love the nod to the watcher, but I, I more actually love the fact that you're you're basically telling us that Steve's coming back at least for a minute at some point. And I, I'm looking forward to that that time when he does make an appearance in the series. 
if it's in this series, which it may not be, because I think, as you were saying, I mean, I think when you bring Steve back, it may be the kind of thing that you only get to do once, and I could see mm-hmm. it being saved for a little further down the line, but there's sure. also plenty of potential for it to happen in yeah. this show. doesn't have to be this show, but of course could be. Um, I'm going to say it is. I'm going to say right now, I think it's going to well, happen. Then the receipt's been filed. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of Steve Rogers, the next okay. place we arrive is at the Smithsonian, the Captain America exhibit, which we saw back in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so this is what Sam was getting suited up for, not in a Falcon suit, but in like a regular suit and tie kind of suit. This is what he was getting dressed up for. This is where he was bringing the shield uh, in that opening scene where we saw him getting ready. He's going to the Smithsonian and he delivers his address uh, makes a joke about how Steve mastered the art of posing stoically, which is He's really not funny. Wrong, though. He's and not wrong. Not wrong at all. Uh, we also get some Ryan Minerding, uh, head of Marvel Studios Visual Devel- De- Development Department, Ryan Minerding, some of his cap art uh, that we see in the Smithsonian, which was there during uh, Captain America: yeah. The Winter Soldier as well. Um, and as we cut to the audience laughing at Sam's well-timed joke um, and very a- very accurate joke. Uh, we see that Rhodey is here. Don Cheadle is here in this series. And then Sam continues on with his speech. And Rhodey needed to be there for that speech. And I was so happy that he was there. And Don Cheadle is so good uh, listening to that speech. So uh, Sam is saying the world has been forever changed. The world is in because, ter- uh, of course, Sam's pointing out the world is in turmoil after the blip, as we've been discussing. Uh, Sam then says, we need heroes. Ones suited for the times we're in. Symbols are nothing without the women and men that give them meaning. And this thing, he's referring to the shield, I don't know if there's ever been a greater symbol, but it's more about the man who propped it up and he's gone. And at this point, we cut to Rhodey, who's been watching very intently, and he just drops, I mean, he he just looks down at this point. And he is he's visibly disappointed because he knows exactly what Sam is about to say next, or certainly knows what Sam's decision is, that Sam's not about to say and tell the world that he's taking up the mantle of Captain America. So Sam instead says, uh, so thank you, Captain America, but this belongs to you. Sam then hands the shield off and it's put in a display case. And such a great performance by Anthony Mackie as he is delivering this speech because it's what he's saying and it's what he isn't saying it really feels like Sam is holding something back here. So it's all praise for Steve, respect for Steve, and this symbol is what it is because that's what Steve made it into. And so it it only always and forever belongs to Steve Rogers. But as I was saying at the top of the show, I think there's another meaning behind it uh, being someone else's you know, of whether or not the shield belongs to someone else, whether or not that symbol belongs to another group and not necessarily uh, a group that Sam Wilson is a part of. And I think that having Sam's speech and just as he was wrestling with it alone when he wasn't talking in the opening, as he's saying this, we see him wrestling with this decision and kind of fighting with himself a little bit on it. And we also get to see that with Rhodey watching the whole time with a front row seat, really wanting Sam and really clearly Rhodey was hoping that Sam was about to take on the mantle for all that that would all that that could possibly mean Um, and not necessarily being disappointed in Sam, but just being disappointed by the net result, which is 
Sam, at this moment, is not going to be the new Captain America. Yeah, that was really interesting. I because I'm, I'm curious, and I think we're going to get that. We're not. We're going to. I think, but we're going to get that in the series. Is I think Sam is reluctant to take on the mantle for a number of different reasons, and I, I do find it interesting that that. Rhodey is, you know, again, someone who actually you compare, you know, Rhodey and 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 him are kind of similar. You know, they they both were friends with these these characters that were, you know, like Iron Man and Captain America, and it's interesting because you think that well, would Rhodey be then be Iron Man? You know, which again he was in the comic books, and like so, it's curious that you know he was only he was his own man, and, and so was Falcon. It's interesting that you know he is because you do see him disappointed that he's not taking that shield. And, and now again, the mantle of Captain America, it, it means a lot. And, and that's what the, the whole series is basically about, essentially, is it, amongst other things. But the main thing about mantles and legacies and things like that. But it is, I do find it interesting that he was disappointed for someone like him in his position where it's like, you know, he was his own man. He was War Machine. He, you know, it's not like he's taking up the mantle of Iron Man. But again, it's just, it's just interesting to see him kind of like, you could see that visible disappointment. But at the same time, we all know, and because he knows, and we all know that Cap gave him the shield, and that to me, that to me is what was important to uh, to to Steve. Because again, Steve didn't want this going to anyone. He, you know, he, he it was a symbol of him saying, "You need to take on this this idea." Because again, Captain America is not a uniform. It's not. It's it's the idea of what Steve Rogers is. It's about doing, you know, what what you think is right and having the freedom to do that. And he fought for that freedom. And I think that's what to him and to me, what I always you know, interpret from the comics and I think even in the show or in the movies, um, which I've always, that's why I love the, the interpretation of Captain America. It's very, still very true to the, the 616 universe is that this Captain America is not, is, it's not about the costume, but the idea. And, and the, the, the shield is only a symbol. And I think that it was interesting that you brought up uh, that, you know, this shield is not the original shield, obviously, because it got destroyed by Thanos and he's brought, you know, a, a random one from a different timeline. And I think it's interesting that that Rhodey was not he, he was disappointed or not disappointed, but just kind of like he expected him to take that mantle. And well, didn't. and I think what Rhodey wanted is Rhodey. And I mean, you can't separate it from this. I mean, and the head writer, Malcolm Spellman, is confirmed like this. They're going into this territory, which the comics did as well, but we're going to see the MCU version of it. Mm-hmm. Rhodey is a black man and yeah. Sam Wilson is a black man. And it's the idea of there being a black Captain America that uh, could mean a lot. And Rhodey wants to see that happen. But that's also something that Sam is resisting. It's not just the legacy of Steve Rogers. It's the idea of mm-hmm. whether or not... and I. Sam doesn't say it this way. He doesn't make this case in this episode, but I think we're going to find out more about why Sam was so reluctant. And it's not just going to be Steve's legacy. It's going to be the legacy of the Stars and Stripes and whom it's represented and whom it hasn't. And certainly it's fair to say that the Stars and Stripes, whether you're talking about in the MCU or in the real world, that it hasn't always represented all Americans. And many of the things that, that we say is in you know inalienable rights that are for everybody aren't necessarily for everybody. We still have to make an argument that Black Lives Matter, and there's a resistance to that argument when it gets made, and people make offense to the t- some people t- still to this day take offense to the very idea 
a Black Lives Even Mattering. There's no way that this series could responsibly address this without getting into that territory and understanding that there would be resistance to the idea of a black Captain America. And it's not so much Sam shying away from that resistance, but it's also, do I want to represent a symbol Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily care to represent me? And that's something that we actually see later on in the series, but I'll just jump to it now. So when Sam was in another country, when Sam's over in Tunisia, a stranger walks up to him just to say thank you because Sam and the rest of the Avengers helped bring his wife back. Meanwhile, when Sam is back home in the United States, he can't even get a loan that he actually should qualify for. So the idea of Sam not necessarily receiving the welcome that he should for a country that isn't necessarily representing uh, and upholding his rights and the rights of the black community in a way that it should be, for Sam Wilson to think about that internally, like, do I want to represent that? And when Sam is talking about how you have this idea that, you know, symbols are nothing without the women and the men who give them meaning, that's where I think it's going to come, you know, come back around to where maybe Sam decides he will take up the mantle because he can take that symbol and give it a brand new meaning, but uh, and allow it to finally mean what it was always supposed to, what everybody's always said that it has, but to finally have a chance to do that, Sam Wilson might be able to bring that around, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, and so I, I want to talk, because uh, along these lines, we're talking about how unwelcoming that symbol can be for Sam, especially for other people who want to use it for their own purposes. We have this guy, this unnamed government official from the Department of, De- uh, Department of Defense, presumably, played by an actor named Alfie Highworth, and he says, thanks again for coming forward with the shield, Sam. It was the right decision. As if Sam was returning some sort of lost or stolen property that couldn't have possibly belonged to him. What do you mean he had to come forward with the shield? It wasn't this guy's either. It didn't belong to the government. It didn't belong to anybody except Steve Rogers, and he gave it to Sam, which makes it Sam's. But even saying, thanks for coming forward, it's the right decision, yeah, the right decision in this guy's mind is you're not our Captain America. We've got our own. And yeah, he's white. And of course, this guy is being completely uh, deceptive here because they're acting like this whole thing is going to go on display in the Smithsonian. They finish putting it on the display. We see it get placed in the case and then eventually it ends up in the exhibit as uh, Sam and Rhodey are, are walking through it. And yeah, of course, as soon as Sam's gone, it gets taken out of that display and it gets handed to somebody else. But that conversation that we see between Sam and Rhodey is so good because it's it's what's being said. But as I also was talking about with Sam, it's what's not being said because, you know, Rhodey says he's not trying to put a burden on Sam or convince Sam that he has to take on the mantle. Um, but Rhodey is making certain points that he obviously wants Sam to hear. Rhodey notes that it's crazy that nobody will be carrying the shield. Mm-hmm. Sam tries to make the point that, well, there were 70 years when nobody was carrying it yeah. because Steve was on mm-hmm. ice. And then Rhodey says, that was a different time, Sam. Uh, And Rhodey asks uh, why he didn't take up the mantle. And Sam goes right back to that idea of it belonging to someone else. And that someone else is Steve. And remember, this time we're not talking about the shield. Rhodey was talking, Rhodey's question was about the mantle. So it's not just the shield, Mm -hmm. but the mantle, the the entire symbol of Captain America that Sam believes belongs to someone else uh, for reasons that uh, I've noted earlier. 
and uh, because it hasn't necessarily represented everyone. So it belonged it belonged to Steve in for all the right reasons and all the great things that made it belong to Steve as far as everything else that it was representing hasn't always applied to everyone in this country. Yeah. And this is very much about the story of not just Sam Wilson being a black man, but a black man in the United States of America and being part of the black community within the United States of America. And so as Rhodey is pointing out that it's a crazy world and that it's broken, everybody's just looking for someone to fix it. And he says, it's a new day, brother. I'll be in touch. So yeah, sounds like Rhodey's coming back. Um, but also mm. when he's saying everybody's looking for someone to fix it, this is Rhodey saying, without trying to put that pressure on Sam, you're that guy. You're the one they're looking for, whether or not they know it. You deserve to be that guy. Um, and that's something that Rhodey is trying to, in, in little subtle ways, and maybe not so subtle, try and get Sam to see what maybe Sam isn't quite seeing just yet. Or maybe he sees it and it still just isn't enough to convince him that it's the right thing to do for him to take up the mantle. But it's a really good conversation because even though Rhodey was hoping Sam would take up the mantle and even though he was disappointed because Rhodey was hoping that would happen for Sam and for all that it could mean, but he's still not going to put that pressure on Sam and he's not going to he's not accusing Sam of doing something wrong or making a mistake here. Yeah, I think that to me was, you know, obviously it felt like but what I liked about it mostly it was it felt subtle and I like the fact that. Rhodey wanted to tell Sam more, but he was holding back, like not like holding back because like in a negative way, but it just he knew Sam wasn't ready to hear what he had to say yet. But, you know, he's going to hear it. And I and you felt that I wouldn't say tension, but there was definitely, some, you know, that, that um, this would take kind of tension that between them in a sense to where, again, Rhodey just like, he wants Sam to see his point of view because because. Obviously, Steve saw the same point of view that, that everyone else does, and that Falcon embodies all of that, and plus of what he could represent for America at this time. And I think that that was I loved about it was the fact that it was at this moment like Sam just wasn't ready to hear it, and I think Rhodey acknowledged that and was like, you you know, you'll be hearing from me. I'm like, okay, and I like that because I wasn't expecting Rhodey to be in the series, and so showing up, having them, you know, walk around the Smithsonian. And I love the, the, the debate they have because both sides make compelling arguments. And I love that. I love the fact that, that there's not just one predominant, this is it. You have to do this. It's no, like the other, like Sam has a point and you can understand Sam's point of view too. Like it's not, there's a lot going into that. And what I love that the series sets up is that you, I think with setting up the fact that Sam has legitimate points, you, when he eventually does take that mantle of Captain America, as the series is kind of we get to see later on in the series or in this episode, there's reasons why he'll probably take that on that aren't just like the typical, you know, Steve wanted me to be Captain America and I'm going to take it up. Like there's going to be a lot of political, social issues. I think you it's going to be all wrapped into one that's going to make a very compelling and emotional uh, time when he does eventually don the Captain America moniker and costume and become Captain America. It's going to be a big freaking deal because they're going to wrap it up in so much great drama. That's both, you know, hits close to home also on a very, you know, superhero level. And that's why I love these characters and I love what's going on. They're going to take everything and roll it into one. So when that moment happens, 
it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. And that's what it feels like. And I think that that's what I love the setup they're doing. It's like the slow burn right now, Sean. They're giving us exactly they're, – they're foreshadowing, but it's not just like – it's not heavy-handed foreshadowing. They're slowly building towards it. What This is like, what, six, seven episodes? So this is going to be uh, a real, to me – I don't want to say crawl, but it's going to be a slow burn to get to, I think, Sam to get that idea. And I think when that idea does happen, it's going to be a big moment in the MCU. And it's going to be a great moment because I think eventually, you know, if whether it be a Disney series or a film of his own, when Captain America returns, it's going to be Sam. And it's going to be a big freaking deal when that happens. So their their lead up to that moment with this series, which I which obviously seems obvious to me and everyone else, obviously, but it's gonna be it's gonna matter a lot for so many different reasons. And I love the lead up with Rhodey with that and what what is in this whole episode what with the sister. So I love what they're doing with that idea of the the social and also you know what what he could be as Captain America is kind of starting to kind of come to him slowly. The next thing we get is a flashback that's also a nightmare that Bucky Barnes is having. The Winter Soldier kills some guy in his security detail. There's a tragic plus one, though. So as the Winter Soldier gets his target, he says, Hail Hydra. And the music at, throughout all of this, Henry Jackman composed the score for the Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, also composed the score, of course, for Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So we get some of those musical motifs that we expect for Bucky or rather the Winter Soldier. And so there is, I mentioned a plus one, there's an innocent bystander, a witness who's just too nervous to get the key in the lock and actually get uh, inside his room safely um, to where he maybe could have not seen anything. And he tries to say that he didn't see anything, effectively begging for his life. And the Winter Soldier points his gun, fires, and Bucky wakes up alone in his house or apartment. And then we cut to a therapy session. And one other thing I, I would really quickly point out here before we talk about the therapy session is the idea that we never see, even though this show is called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we don't see Bucky and Sam together in this episode. And I think it was the right choice. I know that this is buddy action comedy, but one thing about these two characters is we've always seen them with somebody else. We've always seen them with some other superhero or several other superheroes. We don't get this time with just Sam or just Bucky. And I know that they're interacting with other characters, but they're interacting with other characters in this show that are just unique to their lives that aren't a part of any other bigger story or bigger narrative in the MCU. This is all very specific to them and their lives and their relationships. So for two characters who've spent all their time in the MCU before this, uh, always hanging around everybody else, to keep them apart and basically just go on a, a little solo journey with each of them in this episode, I think was the right call before they are inevitably going to be brought together. And we know that Sam's already been texting uh, Bucky, so we already know that there's you know contact being made, and eventually these two characters will go on this, will join each other for this event, this adventure. And so the therapy session, I thought was so good in this. Like I thought that. With the therapist wanting to know uh, if Bucky is still having nightmares, the therapist, uh, Dr. Rayner, played by Amy Aquino. Um, yeah, for for Bucky to be so kind of closed off to this, but this therapy session, as we find out, 
it is actually a condition of his pardon. So in, good for us to know for Bucky as far as why he's not necessarily in jail. How does the world feel about him and his history as the Winter Soldier? Because we didn't really catch up to that. I mean, he was hidden in Wakanda, and then we jumped right into Infinity War, and he disappeared for five years, and then there he was for the final battle in Endgame. How does the rest of the world feel about James Bucky Barnes? Well, he's been offered this pardon, but there are conditions of that pardon um, he can't do anything illegal, he can't hurt anyone, and he has to be making amends, uh, at which point he tells people that he's no longer the Winter Soldier, he's James Bucky Barnes, and that they are part of his efforts to make amends. But that's what Bucky does. He tells this story of making amends to kind of avoid the question about the nightmares that he's having. He tells the story of how there was a senator, Senator Atwood, played by uh, Rebecca Lines, um, who was affiliated with Hydra. Bucky helped her get into the office back when he was the Winter Soldier, um, and Atwood wants to silence a congressman named Lockhart. And then Bucky, of course, stops it. He takes over the car. He does hurt the person in the passenger seat. So he lied a little bit about that. Um, but he gets uh, he gets Senator Atwood arrested and then mentions, of course, that she's part of his efforts to make amends. And he crosses her off the list. And we see the list. And you know who's on that list? H. Zemo. That's Helmet Zemo, who's going to be in this series. Why does Bucky feel like he has to make amends for Helmet Zemo, does he, I mean, Zemo was the one who messed with Bucky as far as we saw in Civil War. I mean, he framed Bucky in Civil War. So this means that Bucky did something that either helped Zemo rise to power or something where Bucky feels like um, he damaged Zemo in some way. Be really interested to see if there, we're going to find out there's more of a past to those two characters than we would have previously understood from Captain America Civil War. But I really love this whole sequence of Bucky talking of this. I mean, it gets heavier as this therapy session goes on, but this initial back and forth as uh, Bucky's talking about and explaining this whole sequence of how he's going about making amends and the, even the fake smile that he gives Senator Atwood after he explains how he's making amends. I just, I, I love that whole bit of, of where Bucky's at and what he's dealing with, but it gets even better as it gets more emotional in a few moments. Yeah, this was a great uh, surprise, and I'm with you, Sean. I, I totally noticed that they had them separate, and I think that was definitely the the right thing to do because you need to show where both characters are at, and they're both kind of they're both kind of lost at this point. And I I think that there's I think they both need direction, and I think that there's I, you know obviously I don't think they're always going to be partners necessarily. Maybe they will. I, I'd be fine if they were, to be honest. Um, whatever but um but it definitely feels like they're setting up the fact that both these characters aren't exactly uh just kind of they're not right necessarily at this point and they're struggling with their past in some ways um and or their legacies and what they've kind of left behind or you know what they're picking up and again the shows the show's themes are obviously all about legacy in one way or another and i love the fact that the show is tailored around all of that and with bucky's case he has to do with the legacy of what he's done and what he will become. And so he's, it's kind of, again, he's in a unique, unique spot where he's basically Captain America where he was gone for 70 years mm-hmm. or he, he wasn't himself, but he still has a whole life ahead of him to like figure out what he's going to do. And I think that's a really unique situation, obviously, because again, in the part of legacy, his legacy is he was this awful thing that was in, you know, people were in control of. And now he's got to figure out what that is. What, what is he going forward? And I, I, I definitely feel that there's a piece of him missing with Steve gone and he needs that. And I think that that's where we're going to get this, you know, 
his you know his legacy and where he's going to go is going to be tied with 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 Sam because Sam's going to help give him direction because he needs that. Like again, she sets it up in the in the uh, the counselor sets it up in the therapy session. She says, you know, you need to open up to people. You right. need to be friends with people, and that's what once and once he lets Falcon in, it's going to open him up to everything. And I think that to me is again what they're setting up in the series. Like what's his legacy and what's he going to be going forward, you know, because he's going to have to let go of his legacy and let go of his past and, and understand that, that he has a whole new legacy that he can start now. And again, kind of like Sam with Captain America, again, these themes, I love the idea of these themes are, they're going into with, with obviously with WandaVision, you've got trauma. And now with this, you have legacy. What does it mean to have legacy? And so with, with Bucky Barnes and Winter Soldier, he needs Sam to complete that part of his life because without Steve, that that anchor that anchored him in, literally anchored him back into reality, right? He needs a friend to anchor him in the new reality. And and Sam Wilson will be that, obviously. And I love the fact they're setting up that he is lost. And he's trying to find it with someone. He's trying to connect with people. The people he's connecting with are people that are tied to his book or his list. So, I mean, it's... Again, I love the, the writing for the show and these shows for the MCU. I've been so good, and mm-hmm. like, they're just, I, I mean, and I'm not trying to like say I'm coming into these thinking like they're going to be, you know, just mediocre. But I don't expect them to be like super as well written as they've been. I've been really impressed. Like, dang, like they're really going for like good drama. There's good, interesting things here. There's good theme. Like the themes here are super heavy, but they're and but not heavy handed enough to where I'm like. Okay, it's getting over the top like drama. No, it makes a lot of sense in the context of the story. And I love the fact that again, Bucky is so disconnected that like the only thing he can get you know close to is someone that's tied to like he feels responsible for. And I love that. I love I, I just think Sebastian Stan just does you know, everyone does a great job in this, but yeah. like Sebastian Stan just him and, and Anthony Mackie are just magic. And each one of them, their on screens command it and you just feel the remorse is oozing off of Sebastian Stan in the series. And I just, I kept yeah. commending. He, he was fantastic. Yeah. The camera is so tight on Bucky mm-hmm. and his therapist. Once it gets real, when they get past Bucky kind of laughing off or smirking off his situation with making amends and, and taking down Senator Atwood, when the conversation gets real and Dr. Rayner is talking about, as you mentioned, that Bucky needs to, learn that there are people who want to help him, that uh, he's going to need to trust people. And he says he does, but he really doesn't. As look, Bucky trusted one person and that person's gone. So Bucky has lost 100% of the people who he trusted in this world. And Rayner makes a joke about it, you know, how Bucky has fewer than 10 contacts in his phone, ignoring texts from Sam that uh, Bucky needs to nurture friendships. And Dr. Rayner just so happens to be the only person he's called all week. And that's her, and she's saying that's sad. Um, and so I, I really like the way that the camera is so close on just the eyes of Bucky and then the eyes of his therapist because she relates to him. She was a soldier as well. Mm-hmm. And by by keeping the camera so tight on these characters, it adds to that level of intimacy. Like, there's nowhere to hide. And yeah. because if your eyes are the things that aren't supposed to be able to lie, you know, we're going right in with Bucky and we're getting rid of the pretense of he's fine, he's not having nightmares, and we see Bucky actually open up. He admits that he's struggling because he says, this is new for me. I didn't have a moment to deal with anything, you know? I had a little calm in Wakanda. Other than that, I just went from one fight to another for 90 years. And 
the writing, of course, as you mentioned, is so good. And, and that's such a great set of lines, uh, such a great piece of dialogue for Bucky and delivered beautifully by Sebastian Stan, because this is Bucky. We've talked about this when he's uh, the, the line. There's always a fight um, in Captain America Civil War. The line in Infinity War, where's the fight on its way when T'Challa presents him with his new vibranium arm in Wakanda, that this is just Bucky's thing. All he gets to do is fight. And so he never really gets to focus on how any of this is impacting him, open up to anybody about how this life of pretty much nothing but fighting for so many decades, what how that's made him feel. He never really gets to explore that. So of course he's not comfortable exploring that. People who are used to exploring their feelings, struggle with exploring their feelings and actually talking about their feelings. So of course, this is going to be a struggle for Bucky. And what I also really like about it is that it kind of dispels what I think a lot of us might have assumed that Bucky needed, because when she asked, what do you want? And Bucky just says, peace, that Dr. Rayner calls BS on that. And she points out how, you know, being seeing the things that that they've seen as soldiers doing the things that they've done, being alone is the quietest, most personal hell. And so Dr. Rayner is telling, you know, just trying to tell Bucky that he's free and he's wondering, you know, to do what. And I like Dr. Rayner making that point because I think it changes the objective for Bucky when he's saying, oh, I just want peace. Well, peace without resolving these emotional issues means nothing because there won't be peace. Even if Bucky is by himself and left completely alone, just like when he was alone asleep in his apartment or wherever he was, like that wasn't peaceful for him. He's poisoned by, or he's haunted by rather, um, haunted by these memories of the things that he's done. So he needs to actually come to terms with all of that, whether he's fighting or not, he needs to come to terms with that emotionally in order to really move forward in a meaningful way in his life. Um, and then we see what Bucky is trying to do as he's trying to make amends. Although we don't know that just yet when we cut to this next scene, Bucky's got a lunch date with Yori Nakajima. And first, uh, Yori Nakajima is introduced by trying to smack a guy named Unique because Unique was putting stuff in uh, Yori's trash cans, which I, I can understand where Yori was coming from there. Um, so then, of course, uh, Yori is so mad, doesn't even want to go to lunch anymore. But Bucky says that he's a... Uh, Bucky is offering to pay, so Yuri says, fine, but no talking. I loved that. Um, and then a great joke is they're sitting at the sitting at the sushi bar, and they're making a joke about, uh, or Yuri is saying, you know, pointing out, looking at the obituaries, pointing out how nobody made it past 90 this week, and I love Bucky's line, so young, such a shame. Uh, and then uh, Yuri actually helps Bucky get a date with Leah, played by Miki Ishikawa, uh, who's working there at their favorite restaurant. Um, and then, of course, uh, Yuri suggests bingo or pinochle for the date. Um, and the it's successful. Leah is game. Bucky's got a date. Thanks to Yuri. And then Yuri gives it away with exactly why this friendship exists. It's not that uh, Yuri is not somebody who Bucky knew before he went on ice or became Winter Soldier because he's just, I mean, even Yuri's not that old because Bucky's been around for a long time. He's 106 so Yuri tells the story about his son and how his son was killed. He doesn't really know what happened, but he always felt it was strange. Uh, Yuri doesn't know what happened to his son, but we know Bucky does. And then we see Stan just closing his eyes at the end of the scene. And what 
a gut punch that was to we have this charming scene and, and Bucky's got this sweet old man who's his friend and all of that. But what's Bucky really trying to do here? Trying to make amends Ugh. for murdering this guy's son. Uh, and this is something that's haunted Yuri Nakajima for years. And I mean, it just gets heavier and heavier from there every time we circle back to it in this episode. But I, I love that it's going through this territory and, you know, Bucky remembering this, it goes right back to when Tony Stark asked him in Captain America Civil War, do you even remember them? And Bucky's response, and Tony was referring to his parents. What did Bucky say? I remember all of them. Every single person Bucky hurt, every single person he killed, he remembers all of them. And now there's this person who's just this pure hearted man who is happy to be Bucky's friend and get him dates and all him be Bucky's wingman, all of this stuff. Uh, and it's, it's wonderful and it's fun. And yet there is this darkness between them that Yori Nakajima isn't even aware of. Um, and Bucky is ultimately going to have to confess to make amends. And this is probably, but this is where I think Yori could be very instrumental for Bucky in his journey forward is that maybe what Bucky needs is to be forgiven. And, and Yori might be the person who might actually be willing to do that. Um, as much as it's going to hurt when Yuri, I think, eventually hears the truth about what uh, the Winter Soldier, not Bucky, uh, did to his son. But it, it's a charming and, and fun scene that just becomes very big and, and very emotional very quickly. Um, but the the overall experience is just so rich. Yeah, this was it, it got to a point where after he starts you know, talking about his son, I went, there's no way this is that coincidental. That, you know, no, for a minute no. there, I'm like, I was like, no way. And then I was like, okay, now I oh, wait, hold on. I know what Bucky's doing. And it, and again, it made it feel, it made it even more of a gut punch because again, it's that he can't even connect to real people, but he has to feel he has to connect to someone he feels responsible mm -hmm. for, for hurting. It's, it just adds an extra layer to the Winter Soldier's character. And, and you brought up a great point here too, Sean, the fact that, you know, that wasn't Bucky Barnes. That was a Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about legacy, right? So what is the legacy of the Winter Soldier? It's this negative, nasty thing. Well, we're going to, again, obviously it's setting up the fact that this, this show is called Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So you got to believe that, that, you know, Bucky Barnes will take up the mantle of Winter Soldier and, you know, make it a better name at this point. And I think that to me is also interesting. Um, I mean, only because it's a superhero. If it was not, obviously, I don't think he'd take the name. But it will be interesting to see how he comes to that, that idea of, like, I have a legacy that I'm going to turn around. And I, to me, like, seeing all these things that I've done, I'm going to have that name that will do great things and good things. And I, I'm interested. I just love the fact that where uh, Bucky is at this point in his life, and again, this remorse that he has trouble connecting to. I just, I, it's, I can't relate to it, but it feels so real. It feels so much like a, you know, again for for soldiers that were, you know, I think have trouble, you know, coping with things after war or things like that. Things that I've heard about and and read about and things like that. Uh, it's it's definitely you know, not the same thing, but it's at least relatable in a sense to where people have a hard time connecting to you know reality sometimes or or just their, the life outside of what they're dealing with. And I love the fact that you, it's an extreme version of that, and you just see it here. And I love the, you know, again the fact that he's he's trying to connect to this to this man that he feels so 
you know, heavy towards. It's, I loved it. Like, you know, it just was one of those things where I, again, wasn't expecting to see so much emotional impact on the first episode. Um, much less from like, you know, after the first like 10 minutes of getting like, you know, Falcon and Red Wing, you know, swooping around the, you know, the freaking canyons with a, you know, helicopters like, Oh man, it's gonna be so good and action packed. And it's like, man, it's hitting me in the gut. This sucks. You know? So again, I love the fact that this shit, the series is already unpredictable in a sense of where, where it's going as far as an emotional level. It's crazy. Yeah. And I was also really happy with this episode in that we got such big emotional stakes for Bucky. I mean, I think that it was, it's not easy in terms of the issues. I mean, the issues are massive that we're talking about Sam Wilson dealing with and that he will express, uh, of course, already has been expressing in this episode and will continue throughout this series. But with Bucky Barnes, it was a little, it wasn't quite as easy to place exactly where he would be uh, from an emotional standpoint and, and what he would be doing. And to see him getting this part of an emotional arc and the way that it's being delivered uh, with these, you know, with his therapy sessions and then trying to make amends and, forming friendships like I, I think Bucky really cares about Yuri and and really does see him as a friend but there's also just this other thing uh, that Yuri doesn't know and, and that affects Bucky's own sense of worthiness of friendship and so that's why I don't know I mean I know the show is called the Falcon and the Winter Soldier but we're talking about Sam Wilson potentially moving on from the title of Falcon and becoming Captain America and I also see for Bucky it's moving on from the title of the Winter Soldier not necessarily trying to reframe it although that might happen but the other way of looking at it is, as he says, I am no longer the Winter Soldier and just really trying to figure out if I'm just Bucky Barnes, who is that? And I think that is a question that Bucky has to answer for himself throughout the course of this series. But he can't really do that until he acknowledges everything he's done as the Winter yes. Soldier. And he needs to do that. And we know that he needs to because Bucky hasn't been feeling any better about himself ever. Um, even when Sa or when Steve tries to let him off the hook and said, we're like, it wasn't you, Buck. And he says, no, I know, but I still did it. And that's yeah. the part that Bucky has to live with. My fault or not, brainwashed or not, I did it and I have the memories of doing it. And that's bad enough, um, which, yeah. of course, uh, we see uh, Bucky dealing with. So then we move on to Delacroix, Louisiana, and we meet Sam's uh, sister, Sarah Wilson, played wonderfully by Adepero Oduye. Um, and she's got her two sons and they're getting ready to deliver food uh, that they're going to be dropping off at a soup kitchen. We see the family boat. So I guess it's a shrimp boat. Uh, the boat is named Paul and Darlene after the parents of Sam and Sarah. And I love Sam's line here. You got to marvel at it. Uh, nice use of the word marvel. Uh, baby being held together by duct tape and prayers. Uh, and I really love the sibling interactions between Sarah and Sam Sarah calling out Sam for making mom's sneaky face and him saying, you know, you can't read me. I'm the one who reads you. I love when Sarah was also talking about how she's going to sell the boat uh, because Sam was off fighting Dr. Space Cape. Love that. Um, Sam doesn't want to sell, but Sarah's already been through all of that. The business is losing money. She can't afford to keep it. Um, I like that there's a guy named Carlos who's there at the docks and wants to borrow the wings. But uh, Sam reminds him he still owes Sam's sister Sarah 100 bucks. Um, and then the argument that these two have, which is just a very straightforward, uh, the same, the only the combination of pure love and anger that seems to occur between siblings. Um, yes, as I, Sam, I felt the same way. As Sam is like, <laughs> Sam doesn't want to sell, um, but their deal was that Sarah would be the one handling business down there. 
And then Sam calls her out. Well, he got, uh, or Sarah got the boat tied up, got the family home tied up in these loans trying to save the boat, uh, which Sarah hits him and Sam forgot how hard she hit. And so Sam's got this idea of a consolidation loan. And Sarah is saying that she already tried all of that. And she says, I just got good with this. And that's an important line. Um, But I love this conversation. And I really found myself feeling for Sarah in this conversation because this was already every, this is very hard for Sam to hear all of this and learn all this right now. But you have to keep in mind when Sarah is saying, I just got good with this. Sarah's already been through all the feelings that Sam is having right now. And she's not looking to get her hopes up because everything Sam is saying, all the ideas he wants to try are ideas that Sarah already thought of and tried and they didn't work. So she's not really looking to get her hopes up and to relitigate the whole situation because she already had to come to terms with this. This was very difficult for her to come to terms with this decision to sell their family's boat. But she went through that and she arrived at the conclusion that this is what needs to happen. And she finally accepted that, having gone through all of that emotional turmoil herself and basically by herself in a lot of ways, because Sam wasn't around for most of these last five years, only for these past six months. And he's been off on missions for the Air Force, so probably hasn't been around that much. And now Sam wants to bring it all back up and go over all of it again, which she understandably is not as interested in doing. But then Sam is like going to set up the appointment. Maybe he'll get a little extra goodwill for being a superhero. And she even points out to the rescue, huh? And then Sam says, uh, always. But this conversation between the two of them and uh, Sarah, as I said, played by Adepero Aduye, just so good. I, I love their back and forth. There, this is where I want to kind of bring up uh, what I thought was interesting was Sam at first with, with Captain America and Steve, he's resistant to legacy, right? But here he's trying to fight for legacy, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. The idea that Sam, you know, he's like, nah, this isn't is for me. But here he's fighting so hard for his family's legacy here. And yeah. I thought that was, that was a really, really interesting idea to bring into it because it, because I think that Sam, it, it just shows the idea that Sam does believe in legacy. And I think it will, will attribute to, will contribute to the fact that when he does take the mantle of Captain America, that I think he'll see where how important legacy is for some people with this whole event that he has with his family, which will be great to kind of see unfold and see, you know, not just what you brought up too, Sean, I think your idea that what he being Captain America could mean for, you know, so many different things. But I think just the idea of how important legacy is for people because he's fighting for, you know, for his family's legacy is what they've done, what they've built and how important that is to him and their family. And I thought that was really fascinating that he that this was a, a part of the character. It's like one aspect is rejecting a legacy that's being given to him. And then one, he's, he's like he's fighting to hold on to. So it's just really interesting to see that the, the, the dichotomy between you know the two aspects of the character that, in this series. And again, it makes it really interesting. I picked up on at least for at least my that's how I perceive. You know, no, I, I think it's I think there's something to that because you have a legacy that Sam doesn't really feel like he actually gets to be a part of with the whole idea right. of Captain America and the stars of stars and stripes and that symbol. So maybe the shield doesn't represent Sam, but that boat does because that's a legacy exactly. with his family. That's a legacy that he is a part of where he does feel like he belongs. Now he deserves to feel like he belongs with the shield as well, but yes. that's not necessarily, obviously that's something that 
he doesn't feel he's a part of and, and also isn't sure he wants to represent because it hasn't necessarily represented him. He still feels like his family has always represented him and he wants to continue to represent them and carry that legacy forward, which is part of why it means so much to them. So that's also why I enjoyed the conversation so much is that right. Sam and Sarah are both right in that you know, the yes. Sam is right with everything he's saying about the value of the legacy, but Sarah is too in that she's not arguing that the legacy isn't important. That's not her point. Her point is they don't have a choice, is that she already exhausted yes. all of their resources and all of their options, and they just don't get to hang on to every piece of that legacy, including the boat, unless they're able to get some help. But she's been trying to get help for a long time, and just nobody's been receptive to it. And Sam's about to find out that they're not going to be as receptive to him as he may have initially thought. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, we go to Bucky's date. He brought flowers, very old fashioned, but he is 106 years old. I understand that part. Which, well, well, it's fine. I mean, look, they didn't understand him bringing flowers and being called out for that, or no, no, but yeah, how old fashioned? I'm like, eh, it's it's a little. I mean, I, I don't know. I've I'm married and for have been for several years, so I don't know what it's like to date. But I also don't remember bringing. I, it's been. A, I, I guess I'm not that romantic. I don't remember bringing somebody flowers on a first date. Um, I mean, I, I guess. Know. I guess it's a, maybe it's. Just, I always considered it timeless. I don't know. Like, maybe I, I don't know. I, I see. I guess I never. I guess I never brought flowers on a first date well, either. Maybe for but, and, and maybe for Leah, who's obviously not 106. Maybe she's never been brought flowers before, and so huh? she does. Uh, she views it as old fashioned. That's Whether true, or yeah. not it is, I, I suppose, is for all of you out there to decide for yourselves. I get you. Um, but I like Bucky uh, laughing about, uh, you know, like his his experience of like online dating and just weird photos, tiger photos, just saying it's a lot. Um, and <laughs> I, I love. <laughs> the like little grimace he gives like after he laughs off the comment that he's like yes. 106 and like just yeah. uh, uh <laughs> so good um but also bucky's hiding because she calls out you know what's with the gloves and it's like yeah well one glove hides the bionic arm and the other one just makes it obvious that he's not wearing uh, makes it less obvious that he's only wearing one glove to hide something um, and maybe Bucky doesn't want to leave behind fingerprints anywhere these days. I don't know, which I wouldn't blame him seeing as how he's been framed before. Um, so I could certainly understand that. Um, but it also does point to, yeah, there's just this element of, of Bucky hiding physically and emotionally. Um, but then the date transitions to a game of battleship, um, and she gets a hit right away on B8. Uh, and then Bucky has to drink and she uh, makes a reference. She says that Bucky can really drink. I mean, it was just one sip of beer, um, but it is a callback. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but seems like it might be. Um, remember when Cap says after his super soldier serum, he can't get drunk back when Bucky died in Captain America, the first Avenger. So if you've had whether it's the original super soldier serum or whatever Bucky got to become the winter soldier, uh, it's not always easy to become drunk, which is why. Uh, Bucky's not really risking much in this game of Battleship. Um, but Bucky talks about his family because she asked, like, any siblings, four sisters, his parents, he was close with his parents. But yeah, like, Bucky's 106. They're all gone. Um, and then Leah starts talking about Yuri, um, saying, and she points out that it's the not knowing that's the hardest part for him. Um, and she says, you know, there's no word for a person whose kids die. You know, it's, and it's, she points out it's the worst thing that can happen is a parent losing a child. And Bucky knows everything she's saying is true, which is why he just has to leave. So there's that thing where she said, you know, the hardest part is not knowing. Bucky has the ability to 
solve that. He can't bring back Yuri's son, but he can resolve the not knowing issue. But Bucky's not able to come forward with that. So Bucky, after the date, or as he leaves the date, he goes to Yuri's apartment. And we see, just in case you weren't sure based on the conversation they had at lunch, um, we see the altar for Yuri's son inside Yuri's apartment. Uh, so that was indeed the witness who the Winter Soldier killed. And Bucky just plays it off as he thought he owed Yuri for lunch, even though Bucky was buying for lunch the day before. Um, and we see, of course, Nakajima, Yuri Nakajima is on, well, that last name, Nakajima, is indeed of, on Bucky's amends list. Um, and he's not able to resolve that. He's not able to make amends. Eventually, I think he will, and he will confess what happened and, and allow Yuri to know what really happened to his son and the role that the Winter Soldier played in that. Even if uh, Bucky wasn't of sound mind when he did it, he still did it. And Bucky's going to, as the Winter Soldier, and he's going to confess to that. But just an, another another gut punch for Bucky and, and where he's at and is that he just can't do it. Even, for, even in this moment where he's just trying to have a date and just trying to have a pleasant conversation and just have a little bit of fun. He just he can't escape his past because he he's been trying to run from it. He's still hiding from it in certain aspects and still trying to hide a bit of who he is, as I said, emotionally and physically. He's got to come forward with his full self. And that also means going through and, and having conversations that he doesn't necessarily want to have. Yeah, the um, man, this this stuff is, was great. And I, again, I I assume that in that scene when, when, he gets, when the guy starts talking about his son and then you know, when he crosses him off his list, it's, you know, I'm just like, well, or not crosses, but does he cross him off his list? I forgot if he did or not. I, I just watched it. So I don't know once. So I don't, I don't remember if he drew a line through it. I think he just looked at it cause he can't draw a line okay. through it. He did not, he did not make amends. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's what, that's why I, I looked at it too, but no, this was a, it was a great scene. I love the fact too. She's like, why do you wear gloves? He's like, I've got circulation issue. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that, and I also love the fact that he's like he's so he's so anxious that he's, he takes you know the the cat with the arm, the lucky cat uh, thing, uh, he like stops it and it keeps going. He's like, Ugh. like he just can't, mm-hmm. he just cannot sit still. I love that. I don't know. I I also love the fact that he just kind of left. He was like, you know, like what's wrong? And you know, he just he just he's so burdened by everything, and I love that. It's it's heavy handed, but it really I mean again, Sebastian Stan delivers a great performance. So it, you just kind of believe that he would actually do that and it makes sense. So yeah, I, I love this part of the of the show. Yeah, it was so good to see Buck I mean, painful, of course, to yes. see Bucky dealing with this, but this is what we need to see him go through. And and I, I think as difficult as this is going to be, like this is where he has hope of coming back, uh, coming out stronger and healthier on the other side of this is that he's going to have to deal with these things because he's as I was saying before, he, he's not he's not on the way to feeling any better about any of this. So the only way forward is getting through all of this. There's no way to go around it or to try and leave it behind. He just has to get through it. And if he can do that, then maybe He'll be able to really open up to other people and actually enjoy his life and, and accept himself and accept him for being exactly who he is. But as we said, I mean, this conversation, but I also feel like Yori Nakajima is the kind of person who Bucky is going to be there. There hasn't been a lot of luck or good fortune in Bucky's life, but he might have gotten lucky here 
with who he has to make amends with and, and who he has to give this confession to. Because Yori Nakajima seems like the kind of guy, while he doesn't owe Bucky or the Winter Soldier anything, he does seem like the kind of guy who might be able to give uh, Bucky the forgiveness that uh, that he needs. And of course, that won't cross everybody else off the list, but that might be a very big step for uh, Bucky. Yeah. And actually, I'm looking at it right now. He did not cross out uh, okay. Nakajima's link. He ha- still has it circled uh, on his yes. amends list. Okay. So still very, very uh, important, which, yeah, it would have been a, a downright lie for Bucky to uh, cross him off the list. So yeah. the next thing we get to is uh, we get to the Wilson home. This is a quick scene uh, where we see that they're, uh, Sam and his nephews, Sarah's kids, are making plates because they sell them on the weekends. Uh, Sam and Sarah are going to head to the bank. Uh, no video games for the kids. Of course, they're going to play video games. Uh, and I like Sam just going through the whole year. There's no such thing as on time. You're either early or late. Pick one. Oh, so uh, true. And then we, it's, it's true. Uh, and then we cut to Switzerland and we see first Lieutenant Torres undercover uh, recording on his phone. And he's at a Flag Smasher event where it's very anonymous. Nobody really knows exactly what they're supposed to do until a masked individual that's definitely Aaron Kellyman, and she's credited in the episode. Um, and her character name is Carly Morgenthau. Carl Morgenthau is the real name in the comics of the Flag Smasher supervillain. So there's your little homage there. Um, so Aaron Kellyman's character hands out some masks, the black mask with the red handprint on it, of course. And then uh, Torres takes a mask, uh, just posing as, as one of them. And then these windows shatter from uh, above at a building. A couple of big bags are thrown out. And then a seemingly enhanced individual uh, who is credited in the episode as Dovich, who I think is played by Desmond Chiam, uh, who is uh, also credited as Dovich in this episode, comes jumping out, hands the bags off to a couple of other people in Flag Smasher masks, and we see everybody running around, which is just creating interference to make it hard for the police to figure out exactly who's doing all of this. And uh, we see Torres. He tries to stop this uh, enhanced individual, but doesn't work out so well for Torres because gets too close with his gun. The guy grabs the gun and just knocks Torres out. And that's that. Um, so, yeah, the first little side mission for Torres didn't go so well, but, you know, he'll get better at it. And at least he got some information. Um, not much. Uh, but then we cut to the bank. This is another really important scene in this episode. So we have a loan officer played by Vince Pisani uh, who recognizes Sam but doesn't know from where. Initially guesses that uh, if Sam played football at LSU um, and then Sam's like, come on. I knew it. Falcon gives Sam a high five, takes a selfie, wants to know how the Avengers got paid, which is a question that I think some of us have had in the MCU. It's a great question. Like, how does it work? And it's like, oh, perhaps Mm -hmm. by like, any even guesses, like, was Tony Stark paying? My condolences, by the way. Great delivery of that. Just slimy, but fun. Um, And then Sam just uh, talks about how there was a tremendous amount of goodwill by everything the Avengers did, and that kind of took care of things. I'm like, I don't know, but uh, I mean... The loan officer wasn't necessarily buying that either of like, you know, relying on the uh, kindness of strangers in order to get by. Um, But we still don't know exactly how things work for the Avengers. But Tony Stark wasn't paying them. um, So I don't really know how they made ends meet. But I guess they were living rent free at Avengers compound. I don't know how they handled the rest of their lives. um, But they were just getting by on whatever goodwill they could. Um, But for Sam... Not only did he not necessarily have a full-time paying job as an Avenger, but he's had no income for the past five years because, duh, he was gone. Um, But he does have government contracts. He's got proof of earnings, and he knows that they should qualify for an SBA loan. 
And under the old terms, the loan officer says that was true, but things have tightened up with so many people coming back. Yeah. And Sarah makes the point, funny how things always tighten around us. And the loan officer tries to deny that, but it's pretty clear what Sarah is saying here that yes, in this country, there's a history of members of the black community and other communities with people of color not having the same access to uh, financial systems and loans and things like that that are often afforded to white banking customers. So there, that's the point that Sarah is making there. And I think there's probably some truth to that because Sam has everything lined up. He's got his contract with his proof of earnings. He knows they should qualify. But the excuse is, well, everybody came back. Um, so things are and there may be some validity to that excuse, yeah. but you certainly understand uh, why Sarah and Sam aren't going to immediately buy into that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. then the dude has the nerve to ask for another selfie, this time with Sam's arms out. Um, and so the Wilson family has banked uh, with this institution for generations, but he just says, sorry, uh, can't approve you. Uh, we also learned during this scene that Sarah is a uh, is a widow, but no reference to exactly how she lost her husband. So I don't know if that's going to be blip related or if it's pre-blip or something like that. Maybe we'll find out more about uh, her own past, but I really liked this scene. And then like extending out from that, the argument that they're still having outside where, you know, Sarah points out that Sam didn't see everything their parents were dealing with because he joined the Air Force. Um, and Sarah just knew that the people at that bank that they weren't going to help because she's already been through all that. And when we talk about the idea of legacy, she says another really uh, great line. It's very sad though, which says those people don't even know who daddy was and he was a giant. So within their community, like as we see that everybody on the docks, they know who Sam and Sarah are. Everybody knew who their father was and everybody around there in their community would have known that uh, Paul Wilson was somebody who probably I'm sure did a lot of good for the community. Like we see his kids doing and his grandkids doing in this episode that he was a giant, but yet he's treated like his legacy and his life don't matter um, because there's nobody there who wants to help save their business, even when they have the means to justify being given the loan that they need in order to save their business. Um, but uh, Sarah, of course, is at this point ready to just move on. Sam still doesn't want to quit. Um, and Sarah says, you know, Sam couldn't deal with what was going on at home uh, when he was off fighting monsters. But Sam, he's still not giving up, even if Sarah thinks that uh, Sam is really just more trying to prove something to himself and make up for maybe not being around all those years that Sam was in the Air Force and then off fighting uh, with the Avengers but this whole sequence, I thought, was really great. I mean, you have this uh, slimy, kind of funny loan officer, but it's also pointing to uh, a lot of inequities that are out there um, that, that, again, feeds into a lot of the different things that, that are on Sam's mind uh, across everything thematically for this show. Yeah, I, I felt that this was a very... It, it, you know, it sucks that this stuff, you know, happens. And, and again, I like the idea that the blip you know, there's there's ramifications again financially from the blip to what he's trying to say, but also you know with his sister making that point as well. I mean, it's it's just a very messy situation, and Sam seeing the this kind of what what the fallout is of what exactly that he's dealing with and kind of a reality, the kind of back to reality, if you will. And I did like the idea that they're they're addressing these weird things that we don't really think about, even like even in the comic books, where how do you make money? As a superhero, I mean, like the easy one is that you know Tony Stark bankrolled everything, and that's the probably the easiest thing. But 
at the same time, what if, you know, before that or after that now. So it is interesting the fact that, you know, what who exactly is going to be supporting these heroes? Because before you had shield. Well, mm. you don't have shield anymore. Well, not right now anyway. You have maybe you have sword, but you get my point. There's not really a there's not really a, a backing of this right now without Tony. So did Tony leave them everything? Um, did he leave them a, a portion of money? It's just interesting. You don't know like, what exactly is this. And well, well, he must have not left. The, there's yeah, nothing that was left behind is an automatic thing that they're entitled to. Otherwise, Sam would be using that. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure Sam probably could reach out to somebody like Pepper um, for help. And I'm, I'm sure there would be people who would be willing to help. But Sam shouldn't necessarily have to do that. It shouldn't just be about the kindness of strangers is that he should right. be seen. They should be seen as viable candidates for this loan based on. The other circumstances, like Sam's right. You can see with those contracts exactly what Sam's earnings are going to be, that he would be able to make payments on the loan. Um, that combined with everything else that they have in their business plan for uh, what they're going to be doing is Sam is also talking about they're converting to a new business model. And that's something that the loan officer isn't even really taking into account, not even really listening to them, just focusing too much on fanning out over mm. Sam Wilson being an Avenger. Only after that guy thought Sam was an LSU football star. Um, so it's just not, it's, it's this loan officer just not seeing them and, and not seeing everything about what exactly it is they want, why they want it and how they are, how there's a justification business wise, even based on the numbers to go ahead and do that. It's just deaf ears and, and people not seeing them, uh, which is something that obviously Sarah has been experiencing quite a bit as she has been, as she continues to point out to Sam, this is something she's already been dealing with already been battling against and he's only just now catching up. And I think that Sam, even though he doesn't want to give up, I do believe he's hearing his sister. And I think we see yeah. that on his mind. We see him back on the boat. Um, and he's just trying to fix things up and he's looking at old family photos. And we see Sam just kind of thinking about this idea of legacy for his own family. And this is what he's trying to protect. Um, and he's trying to help his sister feel optimistic about that. But he also understands why she doesn't. Um, and while Sam is on the boat, he gets a text from Torres, who, of course, sends a picture of his uh, black eye uh, from what he encountered with his side mission with the Flag Smashers. And then we cut to Sam at home for a video call with Torres, and Torres gives him the info, shares the footage, and Sam knows what he's seeing. He's seeing an enhanced individual. Some sort of super soldier uh, is the guy who knocked out Torres He's he knows what he's seeing and he knows what that means and he knows what he's eventually going to probably have to help Torres take on uh, with, you know, the potential of other super soldiers being out there. That's more of a thing for Sam to obviously deal with later as the show goes on. But it was still good to see him kind of registering just the, the threat level that the Flag Smashers could present. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was it was interesting because I didn't know there's not a lot of enhanced, if you will. I love the, I love the word enhanced, by the way. Uh, people in, in the MCU, we talked a little bit about that in other, other episodes, um, at least on Earth, right? There's, there's not a, there's straight up like super strong people. It's just kind of more of suits and things like that. So with the Flag Smasher character coming in and, and doing that, you immediately go, okay. And I love the fact that Sam's like, wait, what is that? What is it? You know, he kind of, he hints at like, mm, like it's hinting at something and he doesn't want to admit what it is. And, I, and I'm curious if maybe I'm reading too much into it as, is there something else that we don't know? Um, 
you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, until I felt like is, is he just kind of like just the fact that he's got superpowers, or is there something else that he's like re- remembering or thinking that it could be? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I've seen the theory out there that some people think that Sam is worried that this is Bucky because the dude oh, has yeah. okay. long yeah. dark hair. Sure, but I don't really think that's it. I mean, you can say, well, that's why Sam is texting Bucky. He's like, what's going on here? But I think Sam was already texting Bucky. Sure. Um, mm. And I also, I just don't think that was really, um, I, I just don't think that was the issue for Sam. I, I think it was more of that idea that, yeah, this is what he's up against. But by the way, Sam is not an enhanced individual. Sam does not have oh. any super soldier serum. So when he's, if he's talking about taking on individuals like this, he's not, I mean, it's not necessarily a fair fight. Just, if we're not talking about tech, like obviously that's where Sam can uh, can level the playing field a little bit. But right. I don't really think it's him thinking it's Bucky because like that dude looks a lot bigger than Bucky to me. <laughs> I think yeah. he would look a lot bigger than Bucky to Sam. So I don't really think that and maybe I'll be wrong about that, but I don't really think that is um, is Sam's concern there. It's just the threat level that is uh, that's pretty apparent there, uh, of course, with Sam knowing that he's going to have to deal with uh you know, some enhanced individuals. And of course they use, that's even Steve's own terminology when he was talking about uh quick, when he noticed Quicksilver out in the field in Sokovia and in uh, Avengers age of Ultron. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, I like that little moment, but of course it gives way to a much bigger moment and something that is definitely going to be more pressing uh, for Sam Wilson here. And that of course is the announcement of a new Captain America. Sarah comes walking in saying, you got to see this, and she changes the channel so Sam can see it. And there's that unnamed government official giving a speech, and he says, unrest in the wake of recent events has left us vulnerable. Every day, Americans feel it. While we love heroes who put their lives on the line to defend Earth, we also need a hero to defend this country. We need a real person who embodies America's greatest values We need someone to inspire us again, someone who can be a symbol for all of us. The United States, uh, the United States of America has a new hero. And then he introduces on behalf of the Department of Defense and the commander in chief. So the president of the United States, we don't know who's who's president right now in the MCU. It's probably not Matthew Ellis still uh, in the MCU at this point because of term limits. Um, But anyway, on behalf of the Department of Defense and commander in chief, this guy introduces a brand new Captain America who walks out with the shield that Sam just gave up. And he's also got a sidearm, which is not something Steve Rogers cap was wearing. We haven't really seen Steve Rogers toting a gun since Captain America, the first Avenger. Yeah. In world war two, not something that Steve was doing in the modern day, but this new Captain America is definitely rocking that sidearm. This of course is Wyatt Russell, the actor who is playing John Walker. And it's confirmed here that, yeah, he's not U.S. agent, at least not yet in the MCU. He is Captain America. And obviously, if they want to trade off of the symbolism of Captain America, that's why they would use that name instead of U.S. agent for right now. Um, and we mm-hmm. cut to Sam and Anthony Mackie is just so perfect here. Like just. Yeah, he's shocked. He's conveying so much here. He, I actually think he's not shocked. I, I think the, really? the way the way I read that look is there is a heartbreaking disappointment and there's a reg- well, yeah. there's there's regret and i think there's a feeling like he knew it this decision to have this new captain america is part of the reason why sam didn't feel he should be the new captain america not because he felt like this guy deserves to be the symbol 
but because he knew that there were people who didn't want him to be that. And that also because those people exist and because those people are historically in power, maybe he doesn't want to represent the same type of symbols that they cling to, the same type of symbols that they abuse in order to get people uh, behind them and behind unethical things all in the name of patriotism. I think that's the type of thing. And those are the types of ideas that Sam wasn't necessarily on board with that he was afraid of. And now those fears are being realized with what he's seeing right here. And of course, Sarah is also upset as we see her uh, watching all of this. But Sam, as he was watching, that's why I don't think he was shocked. From the moment she turns on the TV, he looks like he knows exactly where this is going. And it's just a matter of hearing the words come out of that guy's mouth and waiting to see who comes out uh, dressed as Captain America and wearing that shield. And of course, it's a white guy. And I think that's where you go back into the words that this guy was saying. Uh, while we love uh, heroes who put their lives in line to defend Earth, we also need a hero to defend this country. So it's not enough to defend all human beings. We really need to make sure we're defending this country. Uh, and we need a person who embodies America's greatest values. Well, why couldn't that be Sam? If you wanted a new Captain America, why couldn't that be Sam, the guy that the original Captain America actually handed the shield to? And he says, we need someone to inspire us again. Well, why isn't that Sam? Someone who can be a symbol for all of us. Why isn't that Sam? And this guy knew that. The Department of Defense, they all knew they wanted a new Captain America. And rather than say that to Sam, rather than support Sam and support Steve's choice to pass the shield to Sam and encourage Sam in any sort of way, they never do that. They just thank Sam for coming forward with the shield, tell him it's the right thing to do, and they take the shield and they hand it to somebody who Steve Rogers, as far as we know, never even knew, uh, much less approved of as a new Captain America. This is somebody. This is another organization, and we don't know how deep this goes. Although Commander in Chief is cited, so it goes up to the President, according to this guy, that we have a handpicked Captain America who looks a lot like the last Captain America, and that's enough because it's all about the symbol, but only the symbol in terms of what it looks like not what it's really supposed to mean. And that is what Sam is going to be up against. And I think that's part of why Sam was reluctant in the first place, is he knew that there was so much of this that was baked into the Stars and Stripes that weren't really representing him, that weren't really representing his community, and hadn't really been representing a huge section of America that basically wasn't white people and largely white men. And now it's come to bear. And this is it. This is the symbol being misused, being misappropriated, and it's all being done in the name of American values, but it's not representing what American values are supposed to be. And that's where Sam's going to ultimately have a choice is that should he get to a point where he's able to get the shield away from this new Captain America, that's the last or one of the big decisions for Sam in this show is whether or not he's going to give that finally be the one to give that symbol the meaning that it's supposed to have. And give it meaning that uh, Steve Rogers never could as far as making it completely mean the things that American values are, are supposed to stand for and yet historically never have. Yeah, I see. I, I don't know if he was just, you know, he was not surprised. I think he was surprised. I don't think he gives a shield over to this people if he thinks that's going to happen like at all. I mean, in the moment, he realizes what's going on, and, and it's. But I think he's still just like he can't believe they're, you know, again, they're taking that honor and they're and they're running away with it. Now, 
I again, I I think you could read it. It, it could be that way, and I, would I be surprised if it was that were read that way? Not necessarily, but I just I personally don't think that, and we'll see. But what I I love that they're doing here is they're taking a lot from again. I keep going back to my favorite, one of my favorite Captain America stories, the Captain. They're going straight into the idea of the government trying to give you this corporate uh, corporate uh, corporate version of Captain America. Right off the bat, just this commercialized looking uh, thing and just trying – basically, you're – they're just like – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just, you're just making it awful. They're taking this beautiful idea and they're just turning it into this, this soulless thing. And that's what I think is so interesting. And John Walker, again, is, is, is not going to be this bad like character. And I'm wondering how they play, how he, how they play him up in these next couple episodes. But in that series of the captain, which will definitely be a part of the eventual uh, YouTube page uh, that I do for the required reading for the series, a uh, little wink wink for you guys out there. Um, this series, this this whole that whole comic is about that idea and how Steve rebelled against it. And I was very interested in hearing because I know that he gave it to the Smithsonian, right? Like that that whole portion. So I was wondering, like, do they own? Because because again, part of the Captain comic book series was the fact that. This was, you know, the government said to Steve Rogers, we own Captain America's name and that shield. He's like, see ya. Like, you don't own me. I don't, this is not me. And again, one of my favorite aspects about Steve Rogers, like, I, I am not the shield. I am my own man. And I love that about him. And so here, you're, you know, I was very curious, of like, is this, what, who is driving this? Like, is it, is it a corporation? Are they going a different route? And you brought up something that great point because again, I only seen it once, so I only I only pick up so much. But you know, and I did pick up the fact that the government was behind it. And you said it, again, it goes stems up over you know all these different ladders of the U.S. government. This is the U.S. government wanting this, mm-hmm. so they're the ones powering it, by, you know, behind it. So I thought it was fascinating that we're going down that route. Like this is the handpicked version of the uh, Captain America character, and so uh, for the government, so. It's going to be very intriguing. One, uh, just how, what, again, is that even the same shield? We don't know. We, we assume it is, and we think it is, and it probably is. I mean, it has all but, the same markings as the shield that sure. Sam handed over. I think they right. they let Sam believe that it was being put on display, and then as soon as Sam was gone, they yeah. took it out of the display, and they handed it right over to John right. Walker. And and when well, I say that Sam was surprised, I mean, I, I I don't think he was shocked. I think what he was hoping was that I think he knew that there was always a chance that this symbol could be could be used the wrong way. I think he always knew that was a chance, but that was maybe the one thing he was hoping for is if I give this up, because maybe the world would resist the idea of me being Captain America, but maybe if I allow, I mean, and he could, of course, gone against that resistance and may eventually anyway on the show, but maybe he felt like, well, if I just give up the shield and I make it all about honoring Steve Rogers, that seems like something that everybody can agree on. And so maybe that will stop them from taking the symbols. If I put it on them to, uh, if I just concede this point that it's all about Steve and let it all be about Steve, that maybe that will be enough and people will just leave it there. Um, and was hoping that would be the case, but it wasn't. And I, and I feel like that's where, that's why I see such disappointment and regret from Sam. I don't think he knew that they would definitely do it because if he knew for sure that they would, then I don't think he just gives up the shield. 
But I also feel like he was hoping they might sure. do this, but I really hope they don't. And I hope they don't prove me right in thinking that they might do this. Right. And they actually resist this idea. Just let the shield and let the symbol just let it be forever with Steve and with nothing else. Um, and unfortunately, that wasn't the case. His worst fears um, and things, some of his worst suspicions about it were realized. And now he has to deal with this idea that um, a couple things here. One, in that this kind of proves his point of why he didn't want to necessarily take the shield in the first place. But also, if he knew that this was a possibility and he didn't try to take these steps to prevent it from happening, is he going to feel like he let not only himself down, um, did he let his community down? Did he let his family down? Did he let Steve down um, by allowing the shield to fall into the wrong hands um, because he just didn't feel like it was the right thing for him to do to carry on with that mantle uh, for a variety of reasons? And I think what we're going to find in this uh, as Sam examines all these questions going forward is that there are, of course, no easy answers, but there are probably no right answers either. Um, as far as what is the definitive, absolute, without question, right thing to do, Sam was still wrestling with this decision even as he was making it, even as he was handing over the shield and yeah. giving the speech about handing over the shield. He still didn't feel, it didn't seem like he was fully at peace with what he was doing. And now, of course, it's even worse with what he's seeing at this point in time. The yeah. shield ends up back in his hands at some point. I mean, we see him in the Falcon costume. We know he's at his house. Uh, you know, it looks like a family house. Like, yeah. eventually, he's going to have this shield again at some point. So, how does he get it? Does he, does he, well, that's my question. Does, but is does, that does, is that present? Is that the future of this series, or are we going to find out that was a flashback? Is that something? Is that a moment that he was having before point, yeah. he gave up the shield? I mean, we we still have to kind of figure that out. But I think eventually, Sam is one way or another. Sam is eventually going to be in yeah. possession of the shield. And then the question is, what does he do with it? But these are the issues that are on his mind, and these are the things that he has to try and resolve. The symbol is going to mean something no matter what. Mm -hmm. That you can't just, when you have such a powerful symbol, such an iconic symbol that has an identity that's attached to it and, and such strong, powerful ideas attached to it, then you can either leave that symbol to be used, and sometimes for very horrible and destructive things are you going to are you going to allow somebody else to take that symbol because you're worried that if you feel like that symbol hasn't represented you or your community or hasn't represented everybody within a nation like it should if you feel like it hasn't done that and therefore you don't want to represent it well somebody's still going to use it and somebody's still going to take it and they're going to use it to represent their ideas their ideals and they'll use that to justify a lot of the horrible things that they might stand for and use that to help convince other people to stand for those same horrible things. If you don't claim it, then you have no control over it. Like if you let the symbol just go, then somebody else might be able to use it for bad. Whereas you take a symbol that maybe hasn't always represented you, maybe it hasn't always represented everyone, but with you at the center of it, maybe it finally could. And maybe it will actually stand for the things that it's always supposed to and actually do that for everyone and you're the person, Sam Wilson, being that person who can finally make that happen. And it's better to and maybe Sam will realize that it's better to do that than to leave a symbol in the hands of those who might just use it uh, to justify a lot of the harm that they're going to do. So these are all things that I think Sam was already wrestling with uh, before all of this started. And I think we're going to find out that these were things that he was already uh, weighing within his mind. But now 
the situation has changed because now it's it's not a hypothetical of how this could go bad. It's here's how this has gone bad. What is Sam Wilson going to do about it? How is he going to deal with this challenge amongst everything else that's going on in his life? And then, of course, the other title character in this series, uh, everything that's Buck- that Bucky is going through. And we have what these characters are going through individually. And that, of course, is going to become a collective experience between the two of them as they eventually go on the rest of this adventure together. Exactly. I. This is such a great episode. I, I'm just so... Again, I, I'm blown away how how good it was. I was expect I was expecting to to, to like it a lot. And for those who are longtime listeners, will know that I this was the the series I was most looking forward to out of all of them, and it delivered way more than I even was expecting, which is was I was expecting it quite a bit. But this was in a different level, and I am over the moon of what we've gotten, and I cannot wait for the next episode. I just can get that sweet, sweet Baron Zemo. Oh my God, I'm ready for some Baron, so. Right, I mean, yeah. no no Zemo, no Sharon Carter, and, and no Bucky and Sam together yet in this episode. So, so many of the elements that we are most looking forward to and excited about in this series haven't even come into play yet, and yet the first episode was still this good. And I mentioned this in my non-spoiler review, but there were some of those questions and from some people not meaning anything by it, I, I think, but there's just that question of like, well, how does this compare to WandaVision? And, and my response is it doesn't. And that's what's great yeah. about it. You know, we were talking mm-hmm. about this before we started recording, but it's the versatility of these stories and that you have these things that are so different. And I can't compare the Falcon, the Winter Soldier to WandaVision. I just know I love both of them. And, yeah. you know, and I know that this series has gotten off to, I I think, as good of a start as it possibly could have in this first episode. And that's another reason they're so different that I don't think the comparison to WandaVision will ever really be all that apt. But it certainly isn't right now, uh, where WandaVision is a complete story and we're only one-sixth of the way through this one. Um, But the way this one started is outstanding. And I think it shows that this series is delivering on everything that was promised. Well... The one thing that's not there yet is like the buddy comedy because we don't see Sam and Bucky yet. But again, I think that was I think the show was better off not having that in the first episode. But eventually that's going to be there, obviously. So it's going to deliver on that. We see the high octane action of the MCU in the opening action sequence of this episode. But really what we were also hoping for was the ability to dive deep into these characters. And we do that in this episode. And it's done so well. There's so many things that this uh, that this episode and that this series is going to tackle and we start to see in this episode into so many complex ideas and issues that these characters have to resolve on personal, like individual levels, as well as larger uh, social levels across the, across the U S but then also on a global scale with what's going on with the flag smashers. So many different ideas all coming together as different things and and different sources of conflict um, externally and internally that these characters are, are having to deal with. And the way they've set all of that up just within this uh, very first episode, I think is really, really impressive. And I I can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, right on. So awesome. Well, before we get out of here, we do have some folks to thank. So let me extend a very big thank you to some of our latest patrons. Uh, So they are Brian M., Mike C., uh, thank you so much for joining our Patreon over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, where we have uh, exclusive podcasts that are not available anywhere else, like Patreon credit scenes. Uh, and we also have community events like the Falcon and the Winter Watch Party every Saturday at 4 p.m. Pacific time 
all the way through the end of this series. And then, of course, we did all of this for WandaVision. We'll do it for Loki and on down the line for Disney Plus series, as well as Marvel movies as they arrive mm -hmm. on Disney Plus. Um, and then make sure you're following us in all the places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And make sure you leave us a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Paul, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at Hermer22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also follow me or subscribe to my channel on the Comic Binge YouTube channel, please. Our more content is coming soon to that. Also, the saga continues and the Spider-Man podcast, the Spidey Dude Experience. Check us out uh, there. And uh, again, thanks everyone for who has subscribed to the channel. And I really appreciate it. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening to MCU Fan Show. We'll see you next time. <laughs>